Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, fitness for real people, with your host, Gabrielle Mazar. Gabrielle Mazar. On today's show, Gabrielle interviews Brian Bergford, peak performance specialist. With his background in strength and conditioning and sports psychology, he specializes in personal performance optimization and coaches and develops customized performance systems for athletes, as well as athletic professionals and business owners. They discuss how he became a coach and his own journey of overcoming his fear of putting his head underwater to becoming a competitive swimmer. And now here's your host, personal trainer and stretch therapist, Gabrielle Mazar. Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People. I'm your host, Gabby Mazar. And on today's episode, I have Brian Bergford of Bergford Performance Systems. He specializes in sports and performance psychology. He is um, an athlete and entrepreneur and also has a background in strength and conditioning. So welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you for having me on the show, Gabby. I appreciate it. I'm really thank glad to be here with you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, uh, a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. So um, short version is I, I have I have background in quite a few things, but it, it's all kind of coalesced into what I do today, which is obviously like the performance psychology. I uh, got my degree in psychology. And um, also when I was at the university, I was uh, interning with the strength and conditioning team, primarily working with the, uh, the football team. And that's where I really, really realized how much I loved working with athletes. Um, the, just, just like a totally different mentality and kind of love the competition and the grit and the, the grind that they go through and really have a ton of respect for it. Uh, it's interesting though, like my my personal athletic stuff, and I'm, we'll probably get into that, but my personal athletic journey didn't actually start until I was like basically about 30 years old. <laughs> so it took me a little while to catch on, but I always loved coaching and being around athletes. And that's obviously one of the same things that I um, do today. I own, you know, several businesses. I've built up businesses in different um industries. And uh, this has always been my first love, though, is the human performance, the pinnacle of when people really put themselves out there and surprise not only, you know, the world, but themselves with what they're capable of. I think that's the most inspiring thing any of us can do is inspire ourselves with our own performance by putting ourselves on the line. And I just love the heart of somebody who's willing to do that because they discover so much about themselves. So that's a little bit about me. And um, yeah, if there's anything specific you wanted to get into um, or more in depth on, I'm happy to talk about it. Well, you were featured in Swimmer Magazine. Uh, and like you said, you didn't get into your own athletic performance until about 30. So tell us a little bit about, about the background of that, kind of the psychology psychology that went into your own performance and the story behind you and being in Swimmer Magazine. Sure. So <laughs> that was originally something where I had reached out to kind of the editor in chief and I said, you know, hey, um, I'd be happy to write something for you guys on the sports psychology side if, you know, if, if there's any need. They were they were booked out for that stuff actually for a while, but he ended up reaching back out to me a couple months later and said, I'd actually love to do a story on your journey because my swimming journey had kind of started uh, initially I came into it to overcome a phobia of 
having my head submerged underwater, right? Like just that suffocation feeling. And it wasn't the normal fear because I'd spent kind of my whole life basically overcoming different fears and confronting things. But this one was different because it was a panic response. It was a um, completely irrational. It wasn't even just at a fear level. It was the straight up like panic attack kind of stuff. And so I just recognize I have this area in my life where I'm allowing basically fear, albeit at a high level to control me. And I just had a belly full of it. And I said, you know, I'm going to feed fear a suck at sandwich and I'm going to deal with this thing. I wouldn't recommend that necessarily because like phobias and things like that can be, they're, they're really, really strong and you don't necessarily want to mess around with that on your own. I haven't also been accused a whole lot of being especially <laughs> um, conservative in my willingness to go after stuff like that. And I also had a background in psychology. So luckily I was able to kind of like limp my way through it, but I got swim lessons and I just originally wanted to overcome the fear Then it eventually became, gosh, maybe I could compete. Like had a real competition one day and then I did that. And then the next moonshot became oh my gosh, like, what if I could qualify for the national championships one day? Wouldn't that be cool? And then when I, it took me a number of years to do that. And then I thought, what if I could, oh my gosh, what if I actually like won a national championship one day? And um, that became my moonshot and that happened too. So point of it is, I've always been inspired by people that went out and did things that once seemed impossible to them or other people or the world. And I thought like, if I went out and did something, especially in this arena, because it made me so uncomfortable for so long, if that inspired somebody else to take the next step on their journey, I felt that was totally worth it. So talking about uh, other people's journeys, what did you learn from your experience that you can use to help other people with their own fears and their own phobias moving forward into their journey of whatever they're dealing with to help them overcome those things? Sure. I mean, I think part of it, again, is just providing an example. Like that's one thing. I always loved when people kind of took away my excuses because no matter where we're at, we can find a plethora of other people that have it way worse if we have any kind of ambition to actually look for it. And then just looking at our own, well, A, kind of confronting those areas where we might be putting up with our own BS, right? And being very, very, getting really, really honest about that and not making excuses and being willing to have the conversation, which means you also need to have some grace with yourself because you're never going to have honest conversations with yourself about where you are and where you're hung up if you know you're then going to beat the crap out of yourself for it afterward, right? So having a little bit of grace, but then being willing to get honest with yourself and then asking yourself, am I, am I willing? Because am I capable? Like look around a little bit, whatever, you know, challenges I'm facing, there's people out there that have gone through way worse things and are facing something in a similar vein, but have way more things they could use an excuse not to move forward. So I think then the next question becomes that one of willingness. Am I willing to take a step forward? Am I willing to move? And sometimes we won't do it for ourselves. And if you find yourself in that position, broaden, broaden the view a little bit and maybe ask yourself, you know, who, who could be impacted by either my action or my inaction in this matter? Right. And I think a lot of the excuses is your unwillingness to, to make, to do, to do the action, your unwillingness to 
or your want to change. You're not wanting to make that change. You're not ready to make that change. So you make all the excuses in the world that you can't do it or you're not ready to do it or whatever the excuse may be. <laughs> yeah. And if it's, and if it really is about that, it becomes looking at your I can'ts and getting honest about that too. Like really, is it that I can't or I won't? And I'm using these other circumstances in my life as reasons, quote unquote, why I can't take a step forward when in actuality, if I had like a loaded gun pointed at my head, could I figure it out? Yeah, I could. We're all capable of way more than we give ourselves credit for. And it can be really scary that Marianne Williamson poem is one of my favorite things ever, right? It's, it's not... It's, it's our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. It's what we're actually, obviously paraphrasing, but it's what we're actually capable of. That's the thing that actually scares us the most because when we have to confront that and look at like, gosh, what I could actually do, like that's pretty amazing. So anytime we tell ourselves, I can't ask her, wait, hold on. It's something that, am I absolutely sure that I can't do that? Or is this possibly a won't? Yeah. So when we're talking about kind of the elite athlete, elite athletes or, or athletes trying to reach their fitness goals, kind of what is the psychology behind that, behind those athletes really getting kind of down and dirty and getting real with themselves and trying to get to those kind of high levels of expertise in that area? They have to be a little crazy, but there needs to be, a, you know, the, the reason we look at that and, and esteem it so much is because we're just imagining how much sort of sacrifice or whatever you want to call it that goes into something that it's really, really remarkable, but remarkable people are remarkable for very individual reasons. Oftentimes we want the like formula. We want the book that tells us like five steps to whatever. And it's, in my opinion, such a load of crap most of the time because we're, we're individuals, right? We, we have different needs. We have different ways of thinking and processing information and looking at the world. We have different hierarchies internally of motivation. We have different things that we, that we love that draw us. We have different things that we're moving away from. And the, the one thing that all those high-level athletes figure out is what's the right combination of things that I need in terms of like my psychological infrastructure in order to show up day after day after day and to do it with enthusiasm. And then the days that I know are going to be down, I'm going to show up anyway, and to continue to love my sport and what I'm doing. They, that takes architecture you really have to put a lot of thought behind it. And sometimes people don't, and they're just driven and they don't know why, and that's fine. And that will take them to a certain level, but eventually they have to sit in a room with themselves. And that's where you see some of the breakdowns happening. And a lot of the mental crises that happen, even with some of our most beloved famous sports figures, they realize they've been running on really unhealthy motivation or fuel, if you will, for so long that it's become caustic and then they blow up their engine. And now their heart and their spirit is in a whole lot of trouble and they have a lot of trophies, but it feels completely empty. So I think it's well to give so much attention, more attention than, than we typically do, no matter what level somebody is at to like, what kind of a build out do I need 
upstairs in order to not only excel at what I'm doing, but to understand why I'm doing it and to make it something that's sustainable and healthy for me and the people around me who count on me. Yeah, we talk about um, kind of the mental sacrifice or the sacrifices and the mental capabilities. And, and, you know, we talked about, or you mentioned um, athletes that kind of break down and we saw that in the Olympics with Simone Biles and kind of how she took a step back and said, I have to step out of this for the better of myself, for the better of my team. And a lot of people were upset with it, but at the end of the day, we have to recognize that she was doing what was best for herself because she didn't want to injure herself to uh, possibly cause something that could be irreparable damage to herself because she wasn't mentally there. You know, you're, you're practicing and driving and doing day in and day out for so many years that at some point that sacrifice has to, to wear you down, you know? It definitely, it definitely takes a toll. And I always respect anybody who, really knows themselves and is willing to be honest about things. Right. And like, for me personally, I don't think, I mean, it's hard looking from the outside, no matter who it is, whether it's the Simone Biles situation or just somebody else that we know, like, I have no idea what actually happened there. I don't know if that was the right decision for her. I don't know if it, like, there's 10 million factors that go into something like that. And the reason I bring that up is because like, I have no idea as a, um, outsider, right? Like we have the information that we have and it's um, so easy to see everything through our, through our, and this is a broader message, right? See everything through our lens and based on the information we have, but it's also coming through all of our filters. Mm -hmm. So um, I think one of the biggest practices and habits is kind of allowing other people to be (laughs) and not thinking we know necessarily what the best is for them. Like I I did a call um, earlier today, like I had a coaching call with somebody and um, I'm just working with her and reminding her and mostly myself when I said it is like, I don't pretend to know what's best for you. I know you pretty well. I know you better than a lot of people but you have, you, this comes back to the honesty thing, right? Like you have to get really honest and you need to be honest. And like, I will call you out if I think you're BSing me on stuff, but we have to get to the bottom of this isn't like, this is your life. And you know, you better than anyone else. I'm just here to help maybe like unearth some things and get some clarity around it. But athletes really do need to trust and listen to themselves, especially when it comes to critical things like your, your body, not just when your mind is like, Oh, I'm tired. I want to quit. Most athletes are kind of beyond that, (laughs) but being willing to listen to your body and not like beating it into submission when it needs a break. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think, I think everybody goes through that too. Everybody has that moment of, I want to quit at some point, you know, especially when you're starting a program or when you're starting to get back into a workout routine or, or dieting or changing your habits, you have that moment of, ah, I'm exhausted, I don't want to do this anymore. So what are kind of some strategies that you have to help just anybody stay on track and to help them reach goals? Yeah, decide what you're about before you get to that point. This thing we have when we get inspired for 
these goals and we kind of set, we set out, we're pumped about it. We're like, I'm going to do this. And, and it's, it's very heartfelt and, and, and we mean it. But then we get down the road a little bit and like the poop hits the fan. And like Mike Tyson had one of the most brilliant quotes ever spoken on earth. He's like, everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> and what most people don't have is any kind of a plan for after they get punched in the mouth. And that's what I would encourage people like, don't, no matter how wonderful it is at the moment, it's going to get rough. Like it's same thing in relationships, right? Like, I don't care how in love with the person you are and how you think it's the most authentic love on the, his, in the history of the planet, you need to plan for it. Like pay attention, like days are going to come up that are not pleasant and you better have decided ahead of time what your relationship is about. Same thing here when we're talking about sports or exercise or working out or taking care of our health, nutrition, et cetera. Like, what are you about before you get there? And that kind of ties in a little bit. Um, to identity and how we see ourselves. Uh, one of the things that I think is interesting, like I talked about earlier, I loved working with athletes because they had a totally different mentality, like showing up than the, than the general public. But it's, a, it's an issue of how people see themselves. It's an issue of like how people, um, who they decide they are, like what's your identity. There was a sign in a, a gym I saw years ago and it said, Athletes don't diet and exercise, they eat and they train. Yeah. And that's just one little difference. And so for people like, I don't really feel like I'm an athlete. Like, well, what, what if you saw yourself as an athlete? How would that change how you approach things? How would that change how you talk to yourself when you come up and you hit that wall and you feel like I, like, I can't go at all anymore? Because an athlete at that point just sees that as a challenge and they're going to buck up. And somebody who sees themselves as somebody who's like trying to get in a little bit of shape or like a little bit toned, that's not very inspiring. Right. And, and it's not, it doesn't have the same depth to it. So I would say whatever, whoever you want to be, whoever you want to become, make sure you have that laid out ahead of time before you hit your tough days. So what do you mean? Can you explain a little bit more about identity and, and what you mean by that? Like people's identity, a person's identity when it comes to that. Yeah. So like, if you went up to somebody who's exercising and just a friend innocently asked, like, like, Hey, like, what are you doing? Right. Or like, why are you doing this? An app, somebody who sees themselves as an athlete, at least internally, maybe they won't say it out loud is like, I'm an athlete. Like what else would I be doing? <laughs> right. Like it's just, it's just a very different attitude than somebody who's like, Oh, I don't know. I just feel like I better get in better shape. That's not a very strong identity to have. And that's just one example. But um, if you're an athlete, you approach things differently. You just, you just do. Once you make that decision and you see yourself, look, look, dude, if you can run like a hundred meters, doesn't even matter the time, but like, if you can pull that off, you're an athlete. <laughs> like there, it, we put all these crazy qualifications. It's not just people at the Olympics. That's one of the things we can do to let ourselves off the hook of like, I'm not an Olympic athlete. Like I don't have those genes. I don't have that situation. I have a lot of kids. I have, you know, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, it doesn't matter. You can be an athlete as a Pilates parent, teacher <laughs> as yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. And like, no, but that, and that's exactly it because that, that takes athleticism. We're not talking about bowling. Right. And like, no offense, but I just like, I'm not, I'm not sure how like 
sporty bowling is, right? But Apparently, like, it's very bo- very sporty. I have a podcast with a bowler, and it is a sport. I will correct it. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> okay. Well, that I stand corrected too. And like, I just know that something like Pilates is it's, um, it takes a tremendous amount of control and kinesthetic awareness in your body and developing those things out and developing a lot of muscles that other people just don't have. Um, so I guess my point of it is, pay attention to the way that you look at yourself and why you're doing what you're doing. Because if you're going to the gym and you're working out and you're doing those things every day, because you want to get in a little bit better shape versus like an athlete, you're going in to train. That's just part of what you do. Right. And it's not, and it's not some gargantuan accomplishment. It's like, yeah, this is just part of being an athlete. So there's not a lot of mental processes that need to spin around that. Whereas somebody who's like trying to get in a little better shape, you see every obstacle on the way to the place, wherever it is that you work out and like how much effort it's going to take. And I have to get up this much more early. And then I need to make sure my kids are this by like this time. And then I need to pack my gym bag and I need to make sure I bring my hair dryer. So I can like dry my hair when I'm at the gym. And then I need to make sure I bring my exercise equipment and you see every little step along the way. And it makes it so much more painful than it has to be versus like, I don't know. I'm an athlete. I just like, I just need to go train. You'll figure out the details in the interim. So, so it kind of just comes back to that making excuses and having reason not to be basically an athlete. It's just who you are. This is who I am versus who I think I should be, I guess. Kind of. Yeah. And like, it's also, so something like this as well, if you see yourself as a, um, uh, if you see yourself as somebody who is a, like a great parent and like a great mentor to your kids, that's different than somebody who's like, like, oh yeah, like I had a kid with this, like one person a few years and they kind of talk casually about it. Like, you just know those two people are going to approach the parenting very, very, very differently. Right. It's going to be a totally different experience for them, for the kids. So a lot of it is just how we talk to ourselves and how, how we see ourselves. Um, and that thing that I was talking about making excuses, when people see every little step along the way, part of that, like, that's just a, that's a psychological um, uh, sort of tactic, if you will. And it's something like, Tony Robbins would ca- cause that over chunking, right? People are seeing all these little pieces they have to do versus like, I just need to get to the gym. I'll figure the rest out. Mm-hmm. That's like a two-step mental process versus a 37-step mental process. And so anytime we start getting the cycles in our head, things start to go off the rails quite a bit. And because we can only keep so much information up here before we experience a lot of overwhelm. And once we experience overwhelm, it's going to bleed out into everything else we're trying to do. So I think a lot of that is just mental skills, mental training, mental management, and being aware of the processes that are going on because it's uh, what is going on up here is going to affect what happens out there. No matter if we're talking about sports or we're talking about bullying, I'm just kidding, but um, (laughs) maybe shuffleboard. Shuffleboard, yes, sh- shuffleboard, shuffle. <laughs> sure, sure. Why not? <laughs> We're gonna get. I'm gonna get hate mail over this. I know. It's terrible. <laughs> no, they're all sports. It all takes skill, and skill is skill is important. But um, so how how can you 
identify your identity to kind of create that for yourself to to reach your goals and to help you become that person that you want to be it's a really good question um that could fill up a lot of space in terms of like various answers and paths we could go down the first thing that came it's a great question though and the first thing that came to mind is paying attention to simple things like i um, actually, Joel Osteen is awesome about this. Like, what follows the I am? I am such and such. Because we have these conversations going on in our head all the time. And sometimes we're not particularly conscious about actually what's even going on. We're not monitoring conversation. If our kids are having conversations with each other, we're giving some monitoring, especially if it's like over the dinner table and one of them gets a little bit out of line. Like, you don't talk to each other like that, but we will talk to ourselves in ways that we would beat the crap out of somebody if they said some of that stuff to our friend. Um, so paying attention to, well, what do you say? I like, I am, if you tell yourself, like, I am tired. Okay. But if it's something in this fall, keeping the same example, but I'm also an athlete, right? So it's like, you can just kind of skip over that. Mm -hmm. um, being very intentional about what follows your I am statements because if something like I am tired, I'm not necessarily going to phrase it that way in my head. I might be experiencing like tiredness, Yeah. but I am tired. I don't want that to be part of my identity. So that's why we have to be careful with certain languaging because I am implies that like, this is part of me. This is part of me, not just I'm experiencing it. This is part of me. So do I want to say I am an athlete? Do I want to say I'm like a loving, caring um, parent, right? Who's a great role model? Absolutely, I'm a great role model. Do I want to tell myself I'm tired, that I'm sick, that I'm injured, that I'm this, that I'm that? Like, how, is it, how does that help anything? And it's not about denial. It's about the way we language it because it has different effects in our brain and our biochemistry, which of course all affects our performance day to day. And the more you have going on in your life, the less margin for error you have. Right. It, you are running a company, if you're a professional, if you, you know, you got a bunch of stuff going on in that, or you're a parent as well, you're trying to like get your exercise on and like juggle all these different things. You don't have a lot of latitude to screw yourself up between, you know, the, in the six inches between your ears. So it just, like, I would encourage people, there's a lot of points where in a lot of different tweaks we can make in our life. But one of the greatest leverage points is just recognizing what do we live with every day? The voice in our head, the things we're telling ourselves, the way we construct that, the way we make meaning out of situations that we encounter because there's a reason 10 different people see the exact same thing from the same angle and have 10 different stories about what happened because that all gets filtered differently. So I think we want to be really attentive to and aware of how we are making meaning out of things. Yeah. So how do you use your performance system to help people? What is your process uh, with the bird for performance system? Yeah, it's a good question um, for sure. <laughs> My answer is, it's not evasive. It's actually honest, but it's going to sound a little bit evasive because at the end of the day, probably systems is not necessarily the best word, um, but it was just kind of what made sense at the time. Yeah. And what I'm trying to create is 
A, an environment where I really, really understand where somebody's at, like, what are they going for? Why are they going for it? We need a lot of clarity around that um, because sometimes what people think they want and what they actually want are two very different things, even though we feel like, well, I know myself the best, I should know what I want. And we tell ourselves we know what we want, but sometimes we don't. And so it's ironing out those details of like, what are we really, really after here? Why is it important? And kind of listing those things out and then understanding an individual and then building a system that um, is tailored for them as an individual, like their needs, if we're talking about sports, like their individual biomechanics, like as a professional or like doing business coaching, right? There's a lot of considerations around individual variations there. So the point is, we're tailoring a system around an individual, but we're leaving enough flexibility in it so that we can tweak things as we go and not be, you know, rigidity does not lend itself well to longevity. It's not like check, check, check one, check two, check three, check four. It's exactly. a process. Right. Exactly. It's, it's definitely a process. And, um, but there's a couple of things that are kind of part and parcel to all of it, right? Like we're going to have some specific objectives that the people are after. And those are kind of like their big goals. Those mm-hmm. like the big things, right? The tangible items. Then, so we're going to have those set up. We're also going to have things that are very related to tracking our process. And there's multiple reasons for that. But some people that get obsessed with like the goal and like, here's what I need to accomplish. Every Like spoiler alert, the crap is going to hit the fans so fast and so furious and so often with a lot of that, they can be really discouraging. And so it's, it's very helpful to have a process for tracking your process itself and keeping data points on your day to day and what you're actually doing to pour yourself into whatever you're doing and to be able to recognize I'm doing a kick butt job on my process here. This has not been easy to stick with, but you know what? I've been like on top of this stuff. Am I where I want to be? No, but it gives you another area to look. Additionally, it allows you to, again, collect more data so that if you maybe miss you know, an objective or you're, you're off track or you're behind schedule, you can go back and look very specifically at like, well, what is the process? What is the system that I have? that is currently, right, I'm getting these outcomes from, and it gives you specific information to go back to, as opposed to just, you know, one of the things that's tough is, and it drives me a little bit bonkers, but people are like, I feel like I just need to do this, or I feel like I just need to do that. It's like, that's super fantastic if your feelings are backed up by data, because at any given moment, like, you know, me, I, I feel like sometimes I experience all the emotions on the human spectrum <laughs> within the span of like 90 seconds sometimes. And so I cannot rely on my emotions when I'm looking at Hard actually data. creating something <laughs> concrete. Exactly. Yes. I can't just, here's what I feel about it. It's like, that's great if my feelings are backed up by data. And that's what the process goals give us versus like the outcome or the, uh, you know, the objective goals that that's a little bit different. And they mm-hmm. both um, interact with each other in important ways. So, so um, with your system, you work with individuals, not just with athletics, but also with um, business as well and with teams. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So you work with like business teams, like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, that as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, because uh, my, my kind of my 
bailiwick, if you will, is working with people who are like, they already perform pretty darn well. Like they've got their proverbial poop in a group to a large extent, right? But that doesn't, but none of us have it all together. And so we're looking at whether it's athletes or business owners is to get that little extra when you're already performing at a high level, that's a whole different ball game, right? So I'm looking to feel things out with business owners, like, where do you want to take your company? Like, why is that important? What are different things we need to consider? What do you need on a day-to-day basis based on your life and your setup and your family situation? And if you're, if they're an athlete as well, accounting for all of that so that your business can perform, that you're not neglecting it, that you've got things up to speed. And especially how do you lead your team? How do you create the right type of a culture so that people can thrive based on the things that they're trying to accomplish? Like as a business owner, as a team leader, like athletes or your, you know, um, people that are on your team, if you're in business, they don't really care that much about what you want to accomplish. Not at all. (laughs) Like at the end of the day, it's kind of like, well, and everybody in these movies, it's like this galvanizing, like grand vision and, and everybody just like wraps themselves in behind it. But there's a lot of nuance to creating the right type of culture that um, uh, helps people align their people's interests, right, with the overall team mission and does it in a way that is genuine, Mm-hmm. right? Where you really do have people's best interests at heart. And that means you need to connect with people first. You need to understand all the different types of motivations and the reason we might all be there for the same overall purpose, but with very different reasons. And if we don't attend to that as leaders, we run into a lot of, a lot of problems with it and the wheels are going to come off eventually. And then, right, like we're all kind of screwed. So um, yes, working with athletes, yes, working with, you know, professionals, business owners, managers, teams, um, because it all fits together. It's one big system, right? It's just looking at different layers of the system and zooming in on maybe the individual and then zooming out at the team. And like, we need to take all these needs into consideration. So I freaking love that stuff. And, um, the reason I like not just working with like, whatever, let's say, um, business owners only or professionals only or athletes only, um, it, it just doesn't have like the richness and the depth. I, I love kind of being surprised and looking at something that's a little bit of a puzzle and figuring out like, wow, this is very, very different. Like how, how are we going to like pull things together for this? How can I pull from everything that I've learned over the years? And, and, and mostly to engage the people on the other end of that relationship, like be your own best coach here. Again, I can facilitate it, but they're really the ones that, um, come up with all the best answers. It's not me. Like, I don't, I'm terrified pretty much on a, I would say an hourly basis, at least of all the things that I don't know. Um, but I feel like it's an advantage that I'm aware of that because it, it helps me to ask questions and to dive in with people so that we can find the answers together. Cause it's going to be much better than some canned thing that I give to somebody. Like we're going to team up and we're going to figure this out as a, as a team. And, um, you know, they're going to be their own hero. And that's what I want at the end of the day. So is there anything important or, um, imperative that you think that, uh, we should tell our listeners that you'd like to leave them with today? Hmm. <sighs> 
well, just because it came into my mind for whatever reason first, uh, trust yourself. Trust yourself. Also, give a lot of attention to what part of yourself you're currently trusting. Are you trusting like the whims of current emotions that you know darn well are going to be completely different a week from now? Um, are you trusting the kind of like conglomerate what people's advice have given you over the years and you're kind of trusting that and saying, I'm trusting myself? Are you trusting your ego that's telling you that you should keep pushing when you know that you shouldn't be pushing? Or the other way around, it's telling you like, oh, no, no, like it's time to take a break. And you're like, I've been taking a break for way too long. I've been making excuses, waiting around to get inspired. Like, I just need to move. Or are you listening to that deeper part of yourself that, um, so it just came to mind because a uh, call I was on earlier today, one of the things I brought up was the voice that is the hardest to hear is the one you most need to listen to. So sometimes we just need to take a few steps back, get really, really quiet and pay attention to the quiet voice that is the hardest to hear because it's the one we most need to hear from, but it doesn't scream and yell the loudest. And so people having some disciplines to just step, step back a little bit, breathe, meditate, however people find some balance, right? Whatever that needs to be. Um, some people find their sport or like Pilates, whatever they're doing, very meditative, right? They just get into a zone. So trust yourself, but pay attention to which part of yourself you're saying that you're trusting because some of them are not trustworthy at all. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> very true. So uh, if people are interested in uh, finding out more about you and your systems uh, and coaching, they would get a hold of you at your website, which is what again? Bergfordperformance.com. Yeah, exactly right. And um, but making sure that they like hopping on my email list, because that's actually the way I tend to stay in communication much more so than like social media and stuff like that. So, yep. All right, uh, bergfordperformance.com. I will have that in my show notes as well. Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Gabby. Appreciate what you do. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. And we will see you all next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People, with your host, Gabrielle Mazar. If you would like more information on today's episode, you can find it in the show notes and on Gabrielle's website at www.destinationfitcations.com. Visit to keep an eye out for upcoming fitcations. Be sure to share the show, give this podcast a review, and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Join us next week to hear more stories from people just like you. This has been the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People with Gabrielle Mazar.